you have to have some kind of hope because if you don't then you just fall into despair and then it's like once you get to that point it's like anything goes Okay, guys, we are continuing uh, as we are sitting in the intersection of faith and trauma. We are continuing our series, telling stories, highlighting stories of hope of those people who have walked the crooked roads of pain, despair, and trauma. Today, I have with me author Tina Ivey, who is here to share with us her story of faith and her faith journey. We'll talk a little bit more about her book. And we will talk about where she is today and her faith journey, given everything that she has been through. So, Tina, welcome to the Wednesdays with Watson podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Like many people that I that I interview, we have had to reschedule this quite a few times. So thank you for your patience on that. But, Tina, we are in a season here on the Wednesdays with Watson podcast where we really want to know. And more importantly, we really want other people to know that there are so many others out there walking these dark roads, having dark nights of the soul, struggling with their faith. Some walk away, some stay. And so we are just parking this podcast at the intersection of faith and trauma, because I do believe that it's an important intersection. And so before we start in terms of talking about your story and the things that you've been through, I'm opening up the interviews by asking everybody the same question because we are basing this season of our podcast on Hebrews chapter 11, where the Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please him. And of course, then we get the Hebrews 11 hall of fame, faith by faith, Isaac by faith, Jacob, Abraham. And so I'm asking everybody the same question. And the answers have been really, really edifying to not only to me, but to our listeners. And so my first question to you as we enter into this just conversation between two friends is what does faith mean to you? Um, faith means having a trust and a belief in something um, higher than me, my creator, and believing that he really does love me enough to want the best for me. I know growing up, if you ever grew up in the church, you always sing Jesus loves me, you know, and I sang that from the time I was a little kid. And I think that that just kind of stuck with me, you know, throughout my life. It's like, no matter what happened, that song will just repeat in my head. And I just held on to that belief. So I think that's, that's what faith is for me. Love that. I love that. There's a, a new book out. Uh, ironically, you wouldn't really wouldn't expect this author, uh, Savannah Guthrie, who from the Today Show, she's written a new book, and it's called What God Does. And the, the whole book is based on what God does is love us. Oh, I have to check that out. <laughs> yeah, it's and I am not endorsing it because I've only read two chapters of it, but so far so good. Yeah. But 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 you just brought up something so you kind of unearthed something in my own heart when you said, you know, faith means that I'm trusting in something higher, but, but that Jesus loves me. Yeah. And I know your story. I know what you're getting ready to tell everybody. <laughs> and so, so that is, uh, we're going to come back to that because how you can sit across this, this zoom interview with me and say, Jesus loves me is nothing short 
of miraculous. And so let's talk about that. So you're, you did grow up in the church. And so talk to, talk to us a little bit about that and what your family dynamics look like. This is the part where I just kind of open the mic and I, I want you to share as much or as little of, of your trauma part of your story before we talk about how faith impacted it. Okay. As far as my beginning in church, uh, I do remember as a little kid, as far back as three, um, my mom would send me and my brother to church. We would go to vacation Bible school. But when I really started believing in Jesus was when I ended up going to my foster family, but I'll get to that in just a second. So my family dynamics, it was just me, my mom, my dad, and um, I have an older brother. To me, everything seemed normal. We did things together. We, you know, we'd go to the movies. We, you know, so to me, everything was typical, except for there were things happening on the backside, you know. And um, so I had this secret kind of felt kind of like a double life <laughs> you know as a child it when you're told n- not to say anything that's when you kind of realize that you know maybe it's not right because you know as a kid sometimes you don't know what's what's right and what's wrong especially when it comes from a parent you are supposed to do what they tell you to do but um being that it was like a hush hush thing then that kind of like hey you know Obviously, this is something that shouldn't be happening. But I was, uh, I guess, playing with some kids in the neighborhood. And I guess I did something inappropriate. And one of the parents saw saw it and they ended up calling um, Child Protective Services and reporting it. So around nine, nine, ten years old, the police ended up coming to the house and um you know, I didn't see my dad anymore um, after that because they ended up uh, arresting him. And we had to go through a, a court case and he ended up doing seven and a half years. During that seven and a half years, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that went on during that too, even with him being gone. But I ended up going into foster care for can't remember if it was like three to six months. Um, so I went to foster care and the people that I was with, they were in church. Every time the doors were open, I mean, we were at church. That's when I really came to know Jesus. I guess you could say that's when I really gave my heart to Jesus at that time. So when I ended up coming home, I continued that um, throughout my teenage years. You know, I ended up going um into church and that was really what kept me because I, I put a lot of focus into that just to just for my own sanity you know yeah so uh one, one question I have for you and I know that listeners are also thinking so we could we could all ascertain what happened right so so your dad yeah. the jail um uh, for something yeah. he did to you and and so yeah. first of all I want to say to you I'm so sorry thank you I appreciate that there there aren't words for situations like that you know being a sexual abuse survivor myself i understand all the things that 
happened in puberty and happened, you know, all of the things. But what I can't understand and what God has not given me grace to understand is it was not a family member. It, it certainly wasn't my dad. Uh, none of the people that, that harmed me were related to me. And so I'm wondering, so you went into foster care, which it sounds very similar to me. I went into foster care as my pastor and his and, and his wife and family. And so it was a good thing. I had a good foster care experience. Oh, yeah, uh, I did too. Before going to the, before going to the children's home. Tell me where your mom was during all of this. She was still um, she was still there. You have to understand my mother <laughs> to kind of understand her position and everything. My dad was the only, the only person that she really knew. And he um, took care of her. Um, they've known each other since they were 16 and got married like shortly after. And so my dad's family was the family that we hung around. So that was like the core of our group. Um, she had a big family on her side, but she didn't. Um, we would go see them every once in a while, but my grandparents, passed away when I was like four or five. So that kind of disconnected us from that side of the family. So my dad's side was really the core of everything that she knew. So she was really kind of passive about everything. I'm not really sure if in the beginning she believed it or not, but she would come see me at foster care. She was like really really, really upset when they said I had to go into foster care. That's pretty much where she was. Gotcha. And very, very similar to my own mom. She was also very, very passive. I don't know that she ever told me that she believed me. Like I watch my friends now, Tina, and you might be the same. I watch my friends now parent, right? And it is so foreign to me that these moms would move heaven and earth to make sure that their kids are okay. Like they would, they would take bullets for them and all of that, because that was not ex my experience with my mom. I was not loved by my mom. Well, I think she loved me. Do you feel similarly yeah. in that regard? Talk to me about how, so, so your dad is one thing you got the two people that brought you into this world and that should care about you the most. Your dad yeah. harmed you greatly. And so yeah. did your mom. And if you don't realize that you need to hear that from me. Yeah, I, I do realize that. And I've told other people and it's kind of weird to me because I know a lot of people when they experience sexual abuse, um, whether it's from a family member or anybody else, they think that it's a, a violent, you know, physical abuse and sexual abuse. That wasn't the case in my situation. My dad was really nice. He took care of the family. And so it didn't really to me hit like when I was older, it's like, it's kind of weird. Cause my, I, when you think about that stuff, you think about all the physical and like, you know, hard stuff. And it's like, my, my dad wasn't ever like that. And even when he came home, it was like, whatever he could do for the kids, he would do it, you know? So he always tried to take care of us. So, I don't know if he had a weird perception of what it means to love somebody. And I'm like, you don't love this person the way you're supposed to love your wife. And I think I hit on that in my book also. So, yeah, I think just in my situation and how that was, um, 
I don't feel like they didn't love me or, or my mom. And I know my mom loved all of us. And I know that she's told me that she went through some similar stuff, not by like her dad, but um, somebody else. So I think that kind of also played into it. But yeah, I, I know both my parents love me, whether even though my dad had a weird, like sick kind of <laughs> way of showing it. Yeah, I have no doubt that my parents love me. And I love that. And I and look, I don't have any doubt that that my mom loved me. Uh, I didn't yeah. know my dad really well. I just think that they my, that my mom in particular was super broken. Right. She yeah. did, she did not have a faith of uh, uh, she she grew up kind of. In, in, a, in an affluent family where they went to church on Sunday, they were Christmas and Easter people, you know? Oh, yeah. And I know that she loved me too. And there are people out there listening to us that are confused by what we're saying. But yet at the same time, when they laid their head down at night, they're thinking the same thing. Like, because we are built as I'm pursuing my doctorate uh, right now, I'm actually in a class for adolescent and child psychology. And it is actually a coping mechanism that is taught to children who have been abused that they actually reframe that in your case, Tina, my dad abused me. I, I, I'm a, I'm a survivor of incest. They reframe that in that. Okay. Let's talk about, we're not saying it's okay to the child, right? It's not okay. Right. What happened. But, but that we try to reframe the trauma and that we can say, so let me, uh, it's easier for me to give you my example. So my mom left me for my, for my last abuser and I went to church and told somebody and she abandoned me. I, mean, I was removed from her for like seven or 10 days. They told her, hey, if you make him go, she can come back. And I was so excited because she had finally chosen me. And so they they take me back to to the house and there's a note on the door that says gone to get married, mom. And she literally left me to marry this man who got me taken from her and Later, when I ended up at the children's home, these people without any training kind of helped reframe that trauma for me. And so much as like they said to me, Amy, she probably knew that you were going to be better off with somebody else if you if she left. And and so they tried to reframe it for me. And that was very helpful for me because I think it's one of the reasons why I, I don't think I was ever bitter at her because they helped me understand their her brokenness and that it had nothing to do with me and that yes i had to live the rest of my life with some of the consequences of her choices but like you i i know she loved me in her own way and so i'm wondering if you had that experience with any counselors or anybody like that that somebody that tried to reframe the abuse from your dad incest is a different bear it's one of the worst ones on the scale i'll be honest with you I think most of mine came from just being in the church and, you know, my relations, my growing relationship with God. And in the Bible, it tells us that we're supposed to honor our parents. And it doesn't say honor your parents if they do this or if they do that. Whatever I go through doesn't mean that I have to. I wouldn't say tell anybody you have to endure all this stuff yes obviously if something's happening you need to let somebody know get out of that situation but i'm just talking about as far as having that innate love for my parents 
think that's something that God gives us because I've even witnessed that like in my daughter's life, she loves her dad. She hates what, what he's doing and him not uh, being in her life and choosing over thing, other things over her, but it doesn't mean that she doesn't love him, you know? And I think that's the same thing with me. It's like, if I'm going to live the Bible, I have to live it all. I can't just pick and choose what I want to do. Wow. If I'm going to, to believe the Bible, I have to live it all. I, yeah. I could not have said that better myself. We can't take verses like Ephesians 4.32 out of the Bible where the Bible says, be tenderhearted, compassionate, forgiving one another, even as Christ has yeah. forgiven you. And what you bring up is such an interesting point. And people, and, and I say this all the time, I know that there are listeners that of the Wednesdays with Watson podcast that are in dark rooms with earbuds in their ears. And so if that's you and you've been abused by a parent and you still love them, you need to understand that's the way God built you. Now, how you decide to navigate that relationship moving forward is something entirely different. The last podcast episode, Tina, that I dropped, the one right before this one, because I went from child abuse to domestic abuse and how I still love my ex-husband who is not on this planet anymore. And I think it's for reasons, like you said, we can't take it out of the Bible. But what I do want to, as just as a cautionary tale, if you're listening to this and you're saying, hey, Tina, hey, Amy, you don't understand, I, I endured unbelievable abuse. And we don't compare traumas on this podcast because... We're just not, we, that's not what we do. Trauma is trauma. Right. Because I do, I do agree with you, Tina. We can't take the honor, your, your father and your mother out of the Bible. What that looks like is altogether different and probably needs some professional help. Because what other choice do we have, right? Like you could be, or I could be super, super bitter and angry about what has happened to us and going, I am not honoring them. They don't deserve my honor. They don't honor my, they don't deserve my respect. We could do that. But we're still going to have that, and you just mentioned it, that innate longing for the people that brought us on this planet. A lot of people don't understand why adoptive kids have such a hard time. They get into great families, but by the time they turn 18, one of the first things they want to do is find their yeah. biological family because that's yeah. how God made us. And so let's continue your story. So that happened. So, so your dad spent seven and a half years in jail. You go back to your mom. What does life look like then in terms of going to church and, and a relationship or your relationship with faith? So I spent a lot of time in church. I tried to make sure that that was like priority for me. During those years, I still had some abuse going on from other people. So it never really stopped for me. So I was having to try to navigate all that and um, try to go to church and, and do what was right, you know. But as a kid, kind of seeing that my dad was already in prison, you know, I didn't want to go through all that stuff all over again, you know. And I just, it's 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 hard to come out and, and tell people what's going on. Shame. Not, not properly shame, right? But there's, right. there's a lot of shame. And so... Our stories are very similar. Yeah. So, so, so the abuse continued. You kept going to church. Yeah. I wonder if your experience was kind of like mine. And so I kept going to church, dude, every time the door was open. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, if they, yeah. it was, it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, Thursday yeah. night, 
Friday night youth group. I think revival. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Revi- revival for sure. And yeah. they, I think they thought if they just kind of kept us busy and, uh, you know, and, and, yeah. and was looking towards something decent that we, we'd all stay out of trouble. So same thing. Yeah. Same thing. I was, I, I'm holding both of these things together. Like I'm going to church and I'm, I'm learning songs. Like I wish I could sing or I would sing it. Jesus loves me. I'm learning songs. Like, you know, there was a song that we used to sing uh, called obedience. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. And, and so it was so conflicting for me because what was happening to me did not match up with this God that I was being taught about. Like I was being taught about a good God and a just God and, and a God that would take care of me and a God that would never leave me and a God that would never forsake me. But yet when I left those, the the, the confines of that church or the Christian school that was attached to it, I was felt like I was out there for the wolves and I was, and many of them came for the taking. Sounds like the same right. is true for you. And I too didn't tell anybody because I don't, because there's shame in it and kids think it's their fault. And when you get of a certain age, all of a sudden things are really confusing to you if you're being abused. Right. Right. And on top of that, you're going, I was going to church and I, and, and I, this is a directed question for you. I was going to church. They were teaching us about sexual purity. I was being abused. That created a monster inside of me. Yeah. How about you? Definitely. Yeah. And I write quite a bit about that in um, my book about my high school boyfriend, um, Jamie and being in church I was like, nope, I can't have sex. Even though, you know, the abuse was happening, I had that choice in that situation. And then I would go through periods of it's happening to me, you know, why not just do it, you know? And then, you know, we would have sex for a couple of months and then I'd be like, I go to church. I shouldn't be doing this. And I'm like, no, (laughs) we're not doing anything. So for a few months, we don't have sex. And then it's like, you know what? It's happening anyway. Why not? <laughs> you know, so it was yeah. very conflicting for me as far as the purity thing. It's like, it's already happening. I might as well do it. And then it's like, no, you have the, a choice in this situation. Don't do it. You know? So yeah, yeah I had I that think, back and I forth. Think it's, I think that this is so important to highlight. Because even in 2024, this is still happening. And, and, you, and you said something there and that and when you were just talking that I think resides with a lot of trauma survivors, particularly those with what we call interpersonal trauma. So not traumas that happen at school or so not mass traumas, but traumas that happen to our person. OK, and yeah. sexual abuse is probably at the pinnacle of what we call interpersonal trauma that then displays itself in many people, not all people and post-traumatic stress disorder, which it did me. But um, there, there are people listening to this that will really resonate with this. I, for a long time, even, even up until when I was talking to people about my story, when I was 35 years old, I had determined somewhere along the line that I was just a throwaway kid. And because of what was happening to me, it didn't matter. Now, I did not I did not go the route that you did for various and sundry reasons. I just I did not. I, I, I was able to not do that. But but I felt like the rest of me was not worth anything. And so I I still was learning about this good God, this faithful God. 
and trying to please him in some ways, thinking that maybe if I was a good enough kid, if I was a good enough girl, that he would make all of the abuse stop. And he did not do that. And so I just put my head down and decided just everybody come take it because I'm ruined. I am as I'm just a ruined human being. I'm nobody wants me. I'm a throwaway kid. So everybody come put all your stuff on me. And I lived that way for a long time. And even today, Tina, I will tell you that I have to that I struggle. And and this is going to also be another directive question at you. Even today, I struggle with my value as a human being. Like, do I deserve to be drinking water? Do I deserve happiness? Do I do I deserve freedom? Do I deserve joy? Do I deserve all of those things? And my baseline is no, because as children, we were taught what our value was. And it was like, I'm just here for somebody to take what they want from me. And so before I ask you if you feel similarly, I want the listeners out there to know that that is very normal to feel like you are not worthy, to feel like you are a throwaway kid, and to even be angry at God, your creator, because he created you. And so trying to hold both of those together, how am I valuable when all these people are hurting me and a loving God is just kind of there and fill in the blank. But did you ever feel like, you know what, everybody do what you want because the gig is up? Um, I didn't ever go that route as far as like promiscuity and all that stuff. Yeah, I had issues with self-esteem and just yeah feeling feeling the way that you did you know devalued or whatever but I was also in fight mode because I got married twice and I have two children and I didn't really have time to worry about how I felt and I I I knew I couldn't have a pity party I knew I had to get up and I had to perform and I had to get things done um, to make sure my kids were good and I still had the, the self-esteem issues. I gained a lot of weight when I was pregnant with Tanner. And then just from trauma stuff and just, you know, comfort food was like my thing, <laughs> you know. And um, so I think instead of going like that route, the route of sex being something to comfort me, it was more like, Oh yeah, <laughs> let me go over here and eat this pie, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And, um, people have different things that they go to, and I think mine was more that route. Yeah, I was just getting ready to highlight that. I am so glad you brought that up because because while I didn't, I also didn't go the route of promiscuity. I went. Yeah. So, so for me, my my coping mechanism, my version of your food, or some people's version of promiscuity, was perform, 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 perform. Yeah. Don't stop. Don't stop. Because I knew if I stopped, the house of cards that was so delicately built was going to come crashing down. And that happened for me. Uh, Lots of new listeners here on the Wednesdays with Watson podcast. And so um, and I don't even know if you know this, but after my my last trauma, when I left my abuser, my domestic uh, violence marriage, I had about a year before I completely had a nervous breakdown because I had put my head down. God is good. God is faithful. God has got me. And all of that was true. But God does not require us to put our heads in the sand and pretend like these things never happen and not get help. Right. And and I'm now more than ever, I just have this passion, Tina, in, the, in my belly 
that, and I said this to my counselor the other day, and it just kind of came out of nowhere, but this is as I am pursuing this doctorate degree and pursuing what the Lord wants me to do in the community as he uses my story. I said to my counselor, I said, we have got to treat the whole body from head to toe with the whole body, meaning the body of Christ. And so as churches, if you're a youth pastor or anybody in charge of kids, you are listening to two people who were going to church and were actively being abused. And so we've got to fix that. So the other thing, Tina, that I want to mention to you or ask you actually is, so you, your dad went to prison and, and we'll talk about any relationship you might have with him later, but your dad went to prison. You went back with your mom. You went to church. You were continuing to be abused uh, you got married, had kids. I get, and then went into go mode because you had kids because you didn't have a, have, have a choice to do anything other than that. But talk to us about either marriage because I believe domestic violence is also in your story, right? Correct. The domestic violence wasn't in my first marriage. That was a very short marriage. I was definitely in, in love with him. But the domestic violence came from the second marriage, which kind of mirrored the first marriage because my first husband did have a drug problem that I didn't find out really about until after we were married. So that was kind of part of the demise for the first marriage. And so then the second marriage was pretty much the same thing. But this is a guy that I had dated when I was 15. It was like that first teenage love. And he comes back in the picture. And, um, so we start dating. I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter and I was reluctant to get married, but he was insistent about getting married. So we ended up getting married and not shortly after that, like within months, he started doing drugs again. Cause I had told him when we were dating, I was like, have you ever done hard drugs? I said, if you have, we're not, I'm not dating you. He's like, I said, anything harder than marijuana? And he was like, no. And I was like, okay, that was a lie. Because <laughs> as soon as we got married, the, the drugs started. He was very, very controlling. Didn't want me to leave the house. And, you know, he would physically keep me from leaving. A lot of verbal abuse. And it got even worse when he kept asking me about my dad. Because he was around when I was 15, when my dad was in prison. So he knew my dad was in prison because of me. And so he wanted to know all the details. And I'm like, I don't want to talk about it, you know, because I'm like, I'm, I'm past all that. I'm like, I want to go on with my life. And yes, my parents were, you know, and that side of the family were very much a part of my life. Because if I had stepped away from my dad, that's pretty much everybody that I knew you know, kind of like my mom. So it, it just kind of spiraled from there. The, his drug abuse got worse. Um, there was one instance where he ended up going to jail for slapping me. And uh, I think there was only two instances where he actually hit me, but it was more of the verbal, the verbal abuse, the control. I mean, he would even keep me from going out the door and going to work. So, I mean, and that was, you know, that's an, another kind of abuse. I ended up getting a dom 
domestic violence protective order against him one night when he ended up coming back to the house. I was trying to get him to leave. He wouldn't leave. So I had to end up calling the cops because he broke my door in. And when he broke the door in, he ended up running away from the house instead of coming in the house to do anything. So, but he ended up staying the rest of the night because he couldn't leave. Uh, he wouldn't let me leave. So um, after I told him I had to go to work, so I ended up um, leaving. And when I got to work, I, I called the cops and said, hey, this is what happened. I need you to pick him up. Um because it could have been a lot worse if I was able to call the cops, you know, then he found out if I called and we were there by ourselves, there's no telling what could have happened. Yeah. It could have potentially been a murder suicide type situation. Yeah. 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 Uh, the reason I got the DVPO was because one morning we were lay- lying in bed and he goes, um, yeah, um, I did have this thought um, about killing you. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I've never heard those words come out of your mouth or any kind of intention for, you know, that you would, that you would kill me. But hearing those words come out of your mouth <laughs> like that, it's like, yeah, I, I, I definitely have to get the protective order because I had tried once before to get a protective order and um, I kind of backed out on it. But once he said that, it was like, no. I, yeah, I got to get out of this. So that's why when he did come back to the house that night and kick my door in. So just to kind of not escalate things, um, I was just like, I got to work, just whatever. Yeah. And and listeners, if you're listening, that is the way to de-escalate a violent situation like that. Again, in, in the pursuit of my doctorate, I'm learning so much. And so as I'm on this podcast, I'm beginning to actually be able to help people with with solid psychological information and that is that is very very common that but a lot of times though when those situations do get escalated it's because the other person you know kind of escalates it uh we had code words that if my ex-husband showed up basically and and this is something that i that i just want listeners out there i feel impressed to talk to say this given that story that you just told because if you are out there in one of these marriages, the best thing for you to do if they come to harm you is to de-escalate it there. So, for example, I was under the instruction because I had a lifetime restraining order, Tina, against my ex-husband. And I was under the instruction that if he showed up, I was about 220 miles from him, but that if he showed up, that I was to be like, oh, my gosh, nobody else will let me be around you. I, it's all them. But but you know what? I got, I, I'm supposed to meet a friend somewhere. Let me just call them and tell them that I can't make it. And all of my friends knew the code phrase. The plan has changed. And they knew to ping my phone and to send help. And so I felt very, very pressed, uh, even though that's not the point of this particular episode, that if you are in, in, in the middle of a domestic violence situation, what Tina did when he kicked in the door was like, yeah, raise up your hands, go whatever, dude, and lie through your teeth if you have to. Do anything you can to remain safe. So, Tina, we have gone from you being a survivor of incest and uh, your dad is in jail for seven and a half years to marriage, to a a terrible domestic violence marriage, to now where you've written a book called Better Than I Should Be. And so I do have a few questions for you, though, because I know the listeners want to know. So talk to me 
about why you still believe that Jesus loves you after all of that? Because I saw how he was working in my life, things that happened that wouldn't happen otherwise. I don't believe in coincidence. So it was just, you know, me still going to church, still, you know, having that faith and just you have to have some kind of hope because if you don't, then you just fall into despair. And then it's like, once you get to that point, it's like anything goes, you know, there's no forgiveness for anybody. You just do whatever you want to do. And I still believe that there's a God and it's like, I can't just do whatever I want to do and please God. Yeah. And all you do is open your eyes and know he's there and know that he loves you. However, we are human beings. Did you ever yeah. have a dark night of the soul with Jesus where, where you either stopped talking to him, stopped going to church, stopped believing? Did you ever have that at all? Did you ever cry out, why are you doing these things to me? Is any of that part of, of your faith journey? Because you've been through a lot. When we yeah. look at adverse childhood experiences, just talking to you in this brief conversation you you've got a what clinicians would would be a, a pretty high score for adverse childhood experiences and so your book better than i should be is perfect right but yeah. but my listeners are going i don't i can't it sounds like she just believed god and, and it was all rainbows and butterflies oh no 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 um my dad he was in prison for seven and a half years So it was around nine years old when he first went to jail because he came back when I was like 16 and a half, close to 17. I went to go stay with my grandparents uh, when he first came home because we weren't supposed to be living in the same home. I ended up feeling really bad and I just wanted my mom (laughs) and uh, ended up going back and staying over at the house for a couple of nights and that was all it was supposed to be, but I ended up moving back in with them. So not long after I moved back in with them, the whole grooming thing started again, which being a teenager, it was worse than what it was when I was a kid. And that's why I said when, you know, with with me and Jamie, because me and Jamie started dating not long after my dad came home. So that's where the on again, off again stuff started. Mm-hmm. And all kind of confusing things going on yeah. in, in your body and, and your life and all of that. Corey Asbury has a song called Kind. And the lyrics, the beginning of the lyrics, it's been a while since I've since I've actually said it, but sometimes babies die, sometimes rehab turns to, to relapse, and we're left just asking why. And, and he questions God, and he questions who, why he chooses who he does and doesn't heal. But the very end of that song is so powerful to me because he says, and on that day, on that dark day, when I looked upon the cross, I looked up at my Savior and I realized that's what kindness cost. And so I ask you, Tina, with everything that you've been through, do you believe that God has been kind to you? And if so, why? I do, because I, I believe everyone's allowed free will and I don't think that God says, okay, well, I'm going to make him do this to you and see how you react to it. I believe people do things out of their own will. And 
it's up to us to figure out how we're going to react to that, whether we're just going to give into it or if we're going to push back on it or if we're just going to say, okay, God, I know I'm in this situation. I didn't ask for it, but I want you to help me get through it. So I, yeah, I think he's kind because like I said, it's, it's not him that's doing the things to me. It's, it's people. And you know, that is not an answer that we've gotten. And it's exactly the kind of answers that I want. And one of my least favorite answers in the world when we talk about suffering is we live in a broken world, but we do. And there's free will, but there is. And so when it comes to assigning blame to our trauma, it is not the God of the universe who, yeah, he could stop it, but he also gave us free will. And trauma happens at the hands of people who choose to use that free will in a way that is evil in some, in some ways. And so it doesn't mean that if, we've, if you have stories like yours and you have stories like mine that you don't sometimes throw up your hands and say, God, can you give me a break? But I'll tell you, Tina, that, you know, I had a couple dark nights of the soul, but never ones where I wanted to walk away from the only person that I knew could help me with the intense pain. Because I yeah. like you. I love your answer at the beginning of the, of the episode where you, where you just, you cited that song, you know, we sang in church, Jesus loves me. And for two sexual abuse survivors and two domestic violence survivors, it's all we wanted, right? Because yeah. love gets confused and it gets tainted and it gets, and, and it gets, it gets bastardized in domestic violence situations in sexual abuse situations. And we realize that he is the epitome of love, perfect love cast out fear and so for us to be able to be sitting here on a saturday morning saying yes i was abused by both in both our cases by two people who should have loved us the most right like yeah. your dad should have protected you the most your husband should have protected you the most and so for us to just remember that simple refrain Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Powerful stuff, powerful stuff. And so where is your relationship or lack thereof with your dad today? Um, well, both of my parents um, passed away in 2020. But prior to that, like I said, my parents have always been in my, they've been in my life. And as far as my dad, it was always keep them at arm's length. We can still have a relationship, but you know, I, I got you over here. And with my mom, my mom's always been a Christian, but she hasn't, hadn't been in church or whatever. She's always believed. My mom ended up with COPD. She had to stay at home, stay at home a lot because she was on oxygen 24 seven. And that's all she did. She was in the Bible all the time because of that my dad ended up getting saved like later wait what yeah yeah so my dad ended up getting saved and in i think it was 2014 it was on christmas day he told me he said hey um don't leave until i talk to you and we were at my grandma's house 
And I was like, okay. Um, but we ended up leaving there and going back to my parents' house, which was right beside my uncle and my aunt's house. We had been there for a while. And then he came over to me, grabbed my hand. He's like, um, come walk with me. I want to talk to you. So we ended up walking on the road and he told me, he said, I just wanted to let you know that I've been going to therapy and what I, I, I know that what I did to you was wrong. And he asked me what I thought about it. And I told him that I was very happy that he was finally getting help. I, I listened more than I said anything because I was like, how do I process this? You know, because I had already forgiven my dad and that was by my choice, you know, cause I'm like, Bible tells me I'm supposed to forgive. If I expect Jesus to forgive me, I gotta, I gotta do the same thing, you know? And so after, um, after he did that and we were getting ready to leave, I sat in the car and I looked at my daughter. I said, guess what just happened? And I told her, he apologized to me. And she's like, how does that make you feel? Mind you, she's like 14 or 15 <laughs> asking me how that made me feel. And I said, makes me mad because I forgave him because I wanted to forgive him. I'm like, now that he's apologized, I have to forgive him. So to me, it felt like he kind of took control back from me and it was no longer my choice to forgive him. So for about a week, I I was really angry about it. Like, how can you say that and take control back from me? I forgave you because I wanted to. And then I was like, well, if I'm having this issue thinking this, I'm like, did I really forgive him? And then it was kind of like, um, God was, well, I don't know if it was me or if it was God saying it, but I'm sure he kind of prompted it. It's like, okay, are you done now? It's like, yeah, I'm done. And after that week, it's like I hadn't had a issue with it whatsoever. And I am absolutely stunned because I did not know that part. Yeah. Guys, that's what faith can do. Tina, there is yeah. no logical reason why you should have been able to hold on to your faith during all of this. And I have no doubt that your dad, that you are the reason or one of the reasons why he wanted Jesus, because he probably looked at you and said, how in the world could she still love me after what I've done to her? And Tina, the only way that that could be true, listeners, that's the only way that that can be true is because you believed in something bigger than yourself and you also understood that we cannot take Ephesians 4.32. You just mentioned it. Christ forgave me. I have to forgive him. Listen, I didn't write the Bible. I don't necessarily like that verse, if I'm being honest with you. But yes. we can't <laughs> take it out of the Bible. But Tina, one of the things that immediately came to my mind, this is the gospel. This is why Jesus died on the cross for all of our sins. Your dad's sins, his atrocities against you. And my son of yelling at my roommate this morning, this is why he died. But the <laughs> verse that came to my mind about your dad is this, 1 Corinthians 5, 17. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All the old has passed away and all things are become new. How long did you get 
with your dad after he became a Christian to, to honor him in the way that, that, that you had always wanted to? Um, well, after the apology that was in 2014, so about six years. I'm so grateful for that for you. I really am. I'm so grateful for that for you. Your faith changed the course of eternity. And if you're anything like me, you wrote a book. I love the title of the book, Better Than I Should Be. Do you ever feel like, wow, God has been so unbelievably faithful because while I'm not perfect and I'm looking at you across the screen and as you tell some of the stories, I'm seeing some of the things that I'm learning in school that's like, yeah, that, uh, you know, this is what we do to protect ourselves. Just kind of staring off into space as you tell the story and that kind of thing. And so the, the pain is never going to leave you. But all I can think of is all of our lives, he has been faithful. Even in the dark rooms of abuse, even in the throes of domestic violence, he was still faithful. And that is going to confuse people who don't know him. Tell us quickly about the book, where they can find it, because this is a story that just highlights the star of the story, Jesus. I am stunned right now that you yeah. that, that your dad came to know the Lord. Stunned. Yeah. And I um, attribute a lot of that to the fact that my mom chose to stay. I know a lot of people question it. It's like, why didn't your mom leave? If God wanted her to stay for just that one reason for my dad to get saved, who am I to, to, to judge that? I should be thankful that he, he did get saved and I can say that he's in heaven, him and my mom. I don't even... I'm just so yeah. blown away again by God. Yes. Okay. So as we're at the end of the podcast here right now, I always like to give the microphone to the guest. So there are people from all over the world that listen to this podcast. Most of them trauma survivors. Most of them asking the question, how can a loving God do all of these things? Allow all of these things. And and we've talked about that and we're not going to continue with, with that answer because to some people, a broken world and free choice don't make sense. But we both know that when you're going through those dark times, you have those dark nights of the soul, you're in a dark room, you've got two choices to make, to stay in the dark or to try to, to step towards the light. What do you say to that person who is, doesn't have your faith, who doesn't believe in your Jesus, but who has experienced some of the things that you have? Um, that's, that's a good question because I had Jesus throughout my and I don't see how people can do it without him to tell you the truth because if you like I was saying earlier if you don't have that hope you know it's easy to fall into hopelessness and despair and just but I will tell them that there is a hope and it is Jesus and that's pretty much what my book is about and it's you know my story and I've had all those emotions where, especially when I was a, in my late teens, when he came back home, I was like, God, either take him out or take me out. I, I'm like, this has got to stop. And yeah, um, suicide popped in my head, but I was like, I can't do that. You know, God put me here. 
Um, he loves me and that would be like a slap in his face. Just like, okay, my life doesn't mean anything anymore. So I'm going to take myself out, you know, so I couldn't do that. So I understand all those things just because I am where I am today. Um, doesn't mean that I didn't go through that stuff and I didn't have those feelings because I definitely had those feelings and I want people to know, but I really think that Jesus is the answer. I know that's kind of cliche. Jesus is the answer, but that it's is the true. answer. It is so true. It is so true. And I say it all the time. I don't know how people do it without Jesus. Very much like you and that I had him during all of it, right? Um, I'm yeah. going to church learning that Jesus loves me. I will say to you that I, that I felt that so strongly when that was your answer, that Jesus loves me. And I think that if we can, as human beings, get that in our, in our minds and believe it with all of our hearts. And this is the part where I extend an open invitation to those of you listening in the show notes, you're going to have a link where you can click contact Amy and contact Tina. We would love to introduce you to the star of the story. We are not two people who are have have always walked this perfectly or who have not asked questions of God, but we are two people who landed at the only place that is ever going to make sense is at the foot of the cross at Jesus because we cannot do it in this life without him. There are tons of people, Tina, with our stories out there who are addicted to drugs, living lives of promiscuity, all kinds of things because they have chosen that to believe that God is cruel for letting them go through what they've gone through. And so they try to live a life absent of him, which is disastrous. And so guys, the the book is called better than I should be. I will be giving away two copies of this. And so if you uh, click on that same link and follow me on Instagram, I will uh, draw from people who are Instagram followers to send a couple of Tina's book better than I should be. Tina, I want to end this podcast with you as I end it with everybody else. I proclaim over you as I proclaim over all of our listeners. Tina, today, regardless of what the, today brings and regardless of what yesterday brought, you are seen, you are known, you are heard, you are loved, and you are so, so valued. And what you've done here today and what you're doing with your book is just nothing more than the extension of the gospel. And may you be found faithful. And Jesus does love you so much. We've never been more loved than we are right now. We don't have to do anything to earn his love. If there's shame in our background, there's sin in our background, we have never been more loved than we are right now. As a, as a song Jaira says, I wasn't holding you up, so I can't let you down. You've never been more loved than you are right now. And so, Tina, as you go throughout this day and you continue um, with your ministry and your life, uh, it is my prayer that the, that the God of the universe would continue to just hold your heart and give you that grace that is so, so, so sufficient. People are asking, how, how can two people talk about this and still deeply, deeply love Jesus because of Jesus and his kindness? Thank you for being here today. Thank you so much. I, it was a pleasure. All right, guys, go out and get the book better than I should be and or follow me on Instagram for an opportunity to get one sent to you. 
We will be back here in two weeks as we are going to be speaking with author Rachel McDaniel. Rachel has her own story of faith and uh, walking through very difficult times. And so we will see you back in two weeks. If you're not following the podcast, please do that right now in the app where you are. And remember, you are seen, you are known, you are heard, you are loved, and you are so, so valued. Y'all have a good two weeks. Save me from certain death.